It is no surprise that the powers of darkness gave rise as the gospel gained ground through the ministry of the early church. Yes, warfare of a spiritual nature happens every day in the heavenly realms. The world, the flesh, and the devil are the real enemies of the soul and of the gospel. My mate is not my enemy. My pastor, deacon, or elder are not my enemy. My neighbor is certainly not my enemy. As Paul writes to the Ephesians, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. I'm Ron Jones, and this is Something Good. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. Hello and welcome to Something Good with Dr. Ron Jones, lead pastor at Atlantic Shores Baptist Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. My name is Brian, thanks for tuning in. Well, you may think of terrorists and murderers, maybe even some politicians, as the enemy. But the real enemies of God are the unseen forces of darkness led by Satan himself. How do we defeat them? Find out next as Ron continues his teaching series, A.D. Acts of the Apostles. Online, you'll find us at somethinggoodradio.org where you can listen to the program on your schedule or make a safe and secure donation to the ministry. That's somethinggoodradio.org. From Acts chapter eight, here's Ron with part two of his message, Overcoming the Powers of Darkness. Uh, let's pick it up beginning in verse nine. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So Philip shows up in Samaria, and there's a guy there named Simon the Magician. And Simon the Magician was more than David Copperfield, who had some, you know, tricks in his pocket and some illusions. In, in biblical times, the magicians were a mix of, you know, tricksters and... Um, uh, demonic forces at the same time. Think back in the Old Testament when Pharaoh or when uh, Moses showed up in Pharaoh's court and, and used his staff to perform certain signs and wonders before Pharaoh to convince him to let the Hebrew people go. Well, uh, Pharaoh over here had his own set of magicians, and they weren't just tricksters. Uh, they, were, they were deeply embedded in the occult and in, in the demonic. Beware of a person like that, friends. Beware dabbling in the Ouija boards and the horoscopes and the psychics and the psychic hotlines and the tarot cards and all of that, and, and even in the magical arts that oftentimes gets mixed in with the demonic. I, I love a good magic trick, you know, and the sleight of hand and all of that, but 
Simon the magician was more than that. And Simon the magician had developed this following, almost this ministry in Samaria, where everybody called him Simon the Great. There was no giving of glory to God in Simon's ministry. There was no pointing of people to Jesus. He was Simon the magician, the trickster, and behind a lot of his tricks were the powers of darkness. Listen, this stuff is real. C.S. Lewis was the one who said we make two mistakes with the devil and his demons. We give him too much attention or we don't give him enough attention. Too much attention says there's a demon behind every bush. Now, be careful with that. But for you to completely or I to completely ignore the powers of darkness, oh, we do that to our peril. And Simon the magician was, he, he was the guy. He was the great. And Philip comes along, and, and, and he's not, you know, developing a following of himself. He's preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and risen from the dead. And people were getting saved in Samaria, getting saved out of the darkness of demonic forces and all of that, and the unclean spirits were crying, bloody murder, that you would come here and preach this Jesus, and the gospel was winning, heaven was winning, and hell was losing. And Simon watches this, and he says, wow, I want some of that. And, and Luke tells us in Acts, even Simon himself believed and was baptized. And I think Luke meant every bit of that. But as you read the story on, you, you wonder whether it was a genuine profession of faith. We'll get to that in a moment. Uh, but uh, Simon, before he believed, whatever that means, uh, was a trickster. He was a phony. I wrote this down this week. Phony ministers elevate themselves above the ministry. Always be careful of that, friends. That's not to put down any, any leader that is out front or in the spotlight. That's just part of leadership. But, but leaders in the church need always be pointing you, and I hope I always do a good job of that, pointing you to Jesus Christ. Don't look at me. I'm as flawed as flawed can be, all right? I'm a sinner saved by grace just like you are. But phony ministers, and there are a lot of them even today. You don't have to go back 2,000 years ago. You just look around. Phony ministers always elevate themselves above the ministry, and that was Simon. Simon the Great, you know, and it's just a little word of warning there. Um, so three aspects of the powers of darkness emerge. What do we learn from all of this, even as we unpack the story even further? Let me, let me share some what I call lessons from the dark side here. Number one, uh, keep speaking the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you overcome the powers of darkness? Well, you speak the truth. You speak the truth in love. You speak the truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what Philip did and what the apostles did. Look in Acts chapter 8 and verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the Word. Uh, never underestimate the power of the Word of God and the power of truth. We speak the truth in love. We don't want to become a stumbling block to other people in the way we deliver the truth, but, but we speak the truth. And we're not afraid to speak the truth to power, right? We learn that from, from the apostles in so many ways in the book of Acts. Uh, I, again, I applaud Philip and others who 
Out of fear, yes, were scattered from Jerusalem by the persecution, but they didn't go into hiding. Uh, they didn't go into self-preservation mode. They kept preaching the Word of God, and, and the, the powers of darkness can't stand against that. Elsewhere in the New Testament, it says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And we, we, we move into ministry, uh, even as a battleship going into the front lines of spiritual warfare, with the confidence that greater is he that is in us, that is the Holy Spirit, that is Jesus Christ, than he that is in the world, the devil. Heaven always wins. And hell loses as long as we stick to the truth and the preaching of God's Word. That's why Paul said to Timothy, preach the Word. Preach it in season and out of season. Preach it when their tickling ears want to hear something else. Preach the Word. You have nothing else to do but to preach the Word of God. And uh, that's important for us to remember. Whether you're a preacher or you're just a follower of Jesus Christ, speak the truth. And uh, speak it in love, but speak and stand for the truth. Number two remain open to what God is doing. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 14. It says, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Interesting what's going on here. Now, all that was happening in Samaria under Philip's ministry, word gets back to Jerusalem, gets back to the apostles, to Peter and to John, and they come to check it out for themselves because they got to be scratching their heads a little bit thinking, the Samaria? The, the Samaritans? They've received the gospel? Maybe they flashed back to the time of the ascension when Jesus said, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts. But they went to check it out for themselves. And I give Peter and John and the others credit that they kept an open mind and an open heart to what God was doing here, that the gospel would even expand beyond the racial boundaries and the racial uh, and ethnic uh, animosities that had grown up over the centuries. And God was doing something new here. He was doing something out of the box out of the confines of the, and, and the comforts of Jerusalem and what they had come to expect there, God was doing something new here. And I just say one of the ways to, you know, overcome the powers of darkness is, is just, just be open, open to what God is doing, open to the something new that He might be doing in your life and in my life and in our ministry together. And let's not get locked into a box um, that might have been built because of our own prejudices and all of that kind of stuff. Remain open to what the Lord is doing. And, and when they came there, what they discovered was that they had accepted the gospel, but the Holy Spirit hadn't shown up. Isn't that interesting? And when the Lord is doing something new in the book of Acts, what He does is He delays the coming of the Holy Spirit until Peter and John and some of the other apostles could get there to see for themselves that the Holy Spirit fell upon the Samaritans. And later in Acts chapter 10, even the Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. And the Lord seems to delay uh, for His own purposes 2,000 years ago, to delay the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's almost like a second Pentecost in Acts chapter 8 and again in Acts chapter 10, so that the Lord could make the undeniable uh, point that the gospel is not just for Jews in Jerusalem 
All the way back to Genesis chapter 1, Abraham, you will be a blessing to the world. And this Jesus, who was a Jew, who died on the cross for our sins, the Son of God and the Savior of the world, came to bring the gospel to everybody. For God so loved the world. And back then, that meant the world in Jerusalem, Judea, and, and even that ethnically tainted and a world that was full of animosity in Samaria. Still ahead, the rest of Dr. Ron Jones' message, Overcoming the Powers of Darkness, right here on Something Good Radio. Somethinggoodradio.org is the place to go to hear any of Ron's messages on demand. That's somethinggoodradio.org. And when you stop by, check out the new Something Good digital library where you can search to find answers to your biblical questions from nearly 30 years of Ron's Bible teaching ministry. You can stream for free and on demand at somethinggoodradio.org. Something Good exists only through the prayer and financial support of listeners like you. For your gift to Something Good Radio today, we'll give you the complete audio download to the series you're hearing now, AD Acts of the Apostles. That's all 19 messages in Ron's teaching series, AD Acts of the Apostles. It's our way of saying thank you for your gift to Something Good Radio. Donate online at somethinggoodradio.org. That's somethinggoodradio.org. Or you can mail your gift to P.O. Box 6245, Virginia Beach, Virginia, 23456. You can also call our offices at 757-276-1099. And now let's get back to Ron for the rest of today's Something Good Radio message, Overcoming the Powers of Darkness. And so don't understand this to mean that there's a, you know, some people say there's a second blessing in the coming of the Holy Spirit. You know, you get your salvation here and later comes the Holy Spirit. Now, these were unique times that required the unique uh, movement of God to make a point to the early apostles. This is for the Samaritans later. This is for the Gentiles, for the entire world. And he waits until Peter and John make their way there. They see that they received the gospel. They were baptized. Wow, they see and experience with their own eyes. Even the Holy Spirit falls upon them. So be open to what God is doing, okay? Number three, and finally, uh, take the risk to expose false professions of faith. Let's read on in verse 18. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You have neither uh, part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, here's Simon the magician. Luke said earlier he believed and was baptized, but this little exchange gives some Bible teachers uh, a moment of pause to wonder, was his profession a false impression? profession of faith. You know, just, just based maybe on, on intellect, you know, I, I checked the box on the theology of Jesus here. Yeah, I believe He was risen from the dead, but there was 
no true born-again experience in Simon because Peter kind of gets in his face and pretty much tells him, dude, you ain't right with God. And it took a lot of courage for Peter to do that, but there was so much at stake here. Simon the magician couldn't creep in here and try to buy the gift of God with money and, and just advance his own greatness as he had done with the magical arts. And it's a, it's a reason for all of us to do what the New Testament tells us to do, and that is to examine ourselves to make sure we're in the faith. Some of the most haunting words you'll read in the New Testament are found at the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where He says, and in that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we do great and mighty works in Your name and even perform miracles in Your name? And He says, I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Is Simon the magician maybe an example of that, who made a profession of faith, but it wasn't real, it wasn't saving faith, it wasn't the kind of faith that God recognized that led to a born-again experience that transformed him from the inside out? That's possible. I don't want to be too hard on Simon. I don't know his heart, and only God is his judge. But that little exchange gives us reason to pause and reason for us to, uh, well, to examine ourselves and to make sure we, we've done more than just give intellectual assent to the gospel. Reminds me of James chapter 2 and verse 19. James says, you believe God is one, good for you. Even the demons do that and they shudder. James says, e even the demons have right theology. They believe God is one, okay? Uh, but don't, don't applaud yourself for just checking the box on the right theology. Because the demons, the, the, the demons know as much, if not more, than we do. They've read this book. The devil knows this book well enough to twist it and to manipulate it like he did with Eve in the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Okay. He's a deceiver. He's a liar. He's a murderer from the beginning, the Bible says. And we as believers in Jesus Christ need to remember we're, we're operating, you know, in a world that is very dark. We're on the front lines of spiritual warfare, can easily be deceived by a Simon the magician or somebody else unless we know the Word of God. And let's not be deceived in our own hearts. Uh, Simon might have thought he was right with God, but really wasn't. And again, I, I don't, I don't want to put too much fear in our hearts, but the Bible does say, examine yourselves to make sure you are in the faith because how easily the human heart is deceived. It's desperately wicked. Who can understand it except that the light of the gospel comes? And verse 25 tells us that at the end of the day, heaven wins. The gospel advanced even on the front lines of spiritual warfare. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Well, hip, hip, hooray, three cheers for this. Now we're getting back to the mission, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. This gospel was for everybody, including you and me 2,000 years later. Here we are. Had it got locked down in Jerusalem, had the persecution not come, had the apostles not opened up their hearts to the new thing that God was doing and the very expansive thing that He was doing, you and I wouldn't be sitting here today 
as followers of Jesus Christ. The good news, friends, is that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Heaven always wins. Hell loses. But we're in a battle zone. We're in a, we're in a dark, dark world. And the powers of darkness will fight, fight, fight against every, every advancement of the gospel. And that's why we put our hands to the plow and we don't look back and we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And we walk by grace and through faith, periodically remembering who we were, just like the Apostle Paul did, a blasphemer, a persecutor, a violent aggressor, but all by the grace of God and His great mercy, I am who I am today. And I, I have set my face forward, and I'm traveling toward the celestial city, uh, to that city whose builder and maker is God, and I'm not turning back. No, I'm not turning back at all, and, and I'm ready for the battle. I've got my spiritual armor on. I realize this is a spiritual battle, but greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. This is the way we live the Christian life. And I pray that all of us today come with that mindset to who we are as a church and to glory in how the church of Jesus Christ advanced. I will build my church, Jesus said, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Isn't that good news, friends? You're listening to Something Good Radio and a message from Dr. Ron Jones called Overcoming the Powers of Darkness. Ron, great message today. As I was listening to you talk about using the truth to overcome the powers of darkness, it occurred to me that sometimes we may not know exactly how to go about it. What sort of practical advice could you share with us in this regard? That's a great question, Brian. First, let me say that uh, sometimes we view the world or individual members of it as the enemy. But the real enemies are the unseen forces of darkness, not other people. Let me give you an example. When a Christian speaks out against abortion or same-sex marriage, one of the things you'll hear from our culture is, if you don't agree with our behavior, you're being judgmental. And the Bible you claim to believe in says you shouldn't throw stones. What they're doing, Brian, when they take this approach is twisting the scripture to suit their own agenda, and quite frankly, to justify their sin. But let me ask you, Brian, who does that sound like? Who is it that twists the Word of God for his own evil purposes? Well, it's Satan. He's the real enemy. He's our ultimate adversary. He twisted Scripture in the Garden of Eden when he intentionally misquoted God's command to Adam and to Eve. And he also did it when he used Psalm 91, verse 11, to tempt Jesus to throw himself off the temple pinnacle. And he shall give his angels charge over you, Satan said. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Well, Satan intentionally took that verse out of context, which is exactly what our culture does anytime they don't like the message coming from the church. So whether unbelievers know it or not, they're getting their marching orders from Satan himself. Now, as I said earlier today, the way you overcome this evil is with the truth. And what's the only irrefutable, infallible source of truth? Well, it's God's holy, inspired word. Jesus quoted scripture all three times he was tempted by Satan. And he was able to do that because he knew the word of God. That is our recipe for overcoming evil. Saturate ourselves in the truth of God's word, meditate on it all of the time, and then we'll be able to respond with the truth anytime our faith is challenged. 
That's Dr. Ron Jones with some great final thoughts about the power of God's Word to help us overcome evil. Well, Ron, we're almost out of time, but if you would, how about telling us what's in store on tomorrow's broadcast? Well, Brian, I talked a little about Philip today, one of the seven deacons in the very first church. And although he fled to Samaria due to some heavy persecution in Jerusalem, he didn't go into hiding. He was still doing the Lord's work, still preaching the word. And in tomorrow's message, I'll share a fascinating story about how God used Philip in Samaria. He pointed Philip to a specific location and then asked him to have a conversation with a specific person. I'll share the whole story in our next broadcast. Brian, it's a great reminder to us that when God asks us to do something specific, He always equips us to succeed. That's next time when Ron shares his message, Divine Appointments. Join us then for Something Good. For Ron and the entire team here at Something Good Radio, I'm Brian Davis saying God bless and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.